Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> it's bonus things bonus bonus podcast um here is some extra chat that i had with uh dr oliver double um if you haven't heard this week's podcast already uh, you should probably go back and listen to that otherwise these bits won't really make very much sense by themselves um but me and ollie spoke for a very very long time um and so i thought for any of you that really enjoyed that chat about the state of british comedy right now um and the state is it's dead it's, it's very much dead um but why it needs saving why it's important um, um, then here's some more. Here's some more clips. We've got one clip where we discuss why online gigs aren't really going to save comedy and aren't really the way forward, neither are sort of drive-ins or any of those things. Um, and then there's another whole bit of chat, uh, which is all about the state of uh, British comedy, uh, British political comedy at the moment um, and then right at the end there's a little clip uh, with Nicola Branch from the episode a couple of weeks back where she talks to me about Palestine and Israel annexing the West Bank um, and there was quite a lot of that interview I had to cut too uh, and not all of it made sense out of context but here's a little bit about um, sort of tourism and culture in Palestine and when the comedian uh, brilliant political comedian Mark Thomas uh, did a walking uh, tour around the wall and ended up coming back uh, having put on more weight than when he left um anyway i hope you enjoy all these little clips i've separated them with the usual partly political jingles hooray for bonus stuff it's nice isn't it you deserve it you deserve this sort of thing sometimes um anyway new episode out on tuesday as per always bonus 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 it's funny, isn't it? Because I think, like you said, that that I had, uh, I I did a few, and the amount of people that said, "Well, I, I couldn't get to comedy clubs because because uh, none of them had accessibility," and and I was able to watch this. That was fascinating, and and the fact that I think the first gig I did through that, which was through one of Robin Ince's ones, had a bigger reach than I'd get at most gigs, which is fantastic. But on the downside, also people are watching less and less Zoom things. They're all bored of it, and they all want to go outside. Um, but comedies, they're starting to open up some outside comedy clubs now and drive-ins. And Do you think that's a feasible way of bringing it back? Well, I think I think with the drive-in, the, the thing is what you need to make that work is you need to have a lot of people prepared to drive to be, to be at the gig. Uh by its nature, my guess is uh, you're not going to make money from bar sales if people are driving there. <laughs> yep. uh, people have to be – it has to be a big space and people have to be spaced out, which makes it less viable. And I think as well, you know, there's a thing, isn't there, with the drive-in where 
they people part their horn in place of laughter or they could do it as, as part of the participation well that means it takes it, it limits the number of sites where you can do that right because uh you know if, if, if you've got a you know i don't know 200 people parping their horns at once so you don't want to be in the house that's anywhere near that car park because otherwise you're not going to be sleeping that night you know i i, I think i think it's a brilliant initiative i think that i i, I absolutely applaud people involved in putting that together it's brilliant but also i don't think i think here's the acid test stand-up evolved as a form and became popular and grew and the circuit built and grew and that was because of the nature of being in a room with somebody and then making you laugh and then being able to interact with you i think if that didn't exist i can't imagine streamed gigs or drive-in gigs or any form of out- outdoor gigs being the form that would take off in its own right. Do you see what I'm saying? It, 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 it's, it's a sort of subsidiary form of, of a real form. Well, also, you know, I have this slight worry that, that the time when stand-up thrives most, if, you, if we exclude the Edinburgh Fringe for a second, is in the winter months. You know, it tends to be from October through to March is when stand-up comedy clubs are busiest, um, and the summer months it tends to die off, apart from the Edinburgh Fringe. And, and so we have a very limited time you can do outdoor gigs in, in Britain, and then people are also more interested in doing other things during that time. So it, it's not the best... Uh, sort of situation for us i think i think that's right and also i think there's something else that's going to be difficult when comedy comes back is going to be what the hell are people going to be talking about because comedy is partly about worldview right i mean and i think you know the modern style of stand-up in in one way or another is about people sort of articulating the way they see the world even if it's some sort of crazy surreal thing and actually that means it's inherently political and it's about the world that we all live in. And it's about making connections and sort of critiquing that world in a way. I mean, it sounds terribly pompous, but you know what I mean? That's what's funny about it. It makes you see things in a new way. But the thing is, here's the thing. If you're talking about dating or, I don't know, um, TV or or just no, stuff from normal life, how is that going to be relevant to an audience that's been stuck at home under lockdown for so long? But then if everybody just talks about lockdown, that's going to be terribly boring even by the end of the first night you go. So I think, I think one of the difficulties is comedians sort of mediate the world. And if the world has been such a weird and limited place for so long, I think, you know, in terms of the, the subject matter, that's going to be a real challenge, creative challenge for comedians. Yes, absolutely. So I, I already have that uh, sort of worry that I'll be one of six acts coming on stage going, oh, it's nice to wear trousers at a gig for once or something. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's going to be the staple opener uh, for quite some time. Ridiculous, isn't it? How, how do you feel that um, political comedy is in Britain right now? Because, uh, you know, I, I think we've got some, personally, I think we've got some some very strong elements of it. Um, but I sort of look at America and feel like they're really, really strong with political comedy at the moment. And we're, we're perhaps not in the same heady days that we used to be in, in, in the years of alternative comedy in terms of uh, political comedy voices. Do you, do you feel that it's the same i i don't know as as the same level of power the same interest or there's as much of it as there used to be well i think it's an interesting question i mean i think one of the things that's worth saying is if you you know according to according to the cliche back in the 1980s all you had to do was say thatcher and everybody laughed uh <laughs> and, and i think that that's that that's not true and in fact you know go back and listening as the research to my my book on alternative comedy go back and listening to recordings of from the time uh, but including sort of, you know, um, privately made recordings that haven't come out on record or whatever. What you notice is a uh, couple of things. One is that Thatcher jokes are comparatively rare. 
Another is even political jokes aren't that common. Uh, so, you know, somebody like, say, Arnold Brown would, would generally talk about world from his weirdly and endearingly strange way of seeing the world, his quirky, eccentric way of seeing the world. And occasionally there'd be a little jab at a Tory politician or something like that. So I think the, the first thing to say is there were really, really cool and important political comedians in the 80s. Uh, I mean, Alexis Sale, Tony Allen, Pauline Melville, uh, I did, I saw Jim Barkley, uh, and later on, people like Mark Thomas, uh, Mark Steele, uh, uh, Jeremy Hardy. Uh, so, so there were people out there doing interesting things, but a lot of people were just doing all kinds of creative and interesting things that weren't particularly politically focused. So it's really important to acknowledge that to start off with. It's not like there's this golden age where everybody was political. They kind of were, but... And then, you know, some of those people are, are, are still around now. I mean, Mark Thomas is still around doing perhaps more theatre-oriented things, but essentially the core of what he's doing is, is derived from stand-up and, is, you know, it's political as ever. You've got people like Nick Revel who went away from comedy for a while and has come back to it, although his stuff is more surreal now, I think. Um, but uh, in terms of what's, what's, what's happening now, I mean, I think that possibly since Brexit, since Trump, more kind of middle of the roadie comedians are including bits of political stuff in with what they're doing. But also I just think there's some very good people around. I mean, somebody like Frankie Boyle, who wasn't particularly political when he, when he first broke through was very, you know, it was that thing, wasn't it? It was the naughty game of let's see what's the most outrageous thing I could say and make you laugh. But actually more recently he's, I mean, you know much better than I do, but I mean, he's taken that kind of scabrous approach to comedy and, and been much more, um, satirical, much more political, in a way that I think is very interesting. And I think things like the New World Order show that he's done on telly is a fantastic bit of television, where it ha- it sort of opens a space for uh, comedy and politics to sort of mix, actually. And, and particularly when he gets guests on that aren't comedians, actually. I mean, it's brilliant when he gets Benjamin Zephaniah or George Monbiot or something like that. Because what you're doing is giving people a mainstream... It's like a Trojan horse, isn't it? You know, you came here for the laughs, but here's George Monbiot. Have a listen to what he's got to say, you know. Yeah, which is fascinating because I think George Monbiot tweeted afterwards that he, he wouldn't be allowed to do that on Newsnight, but he was given a bigger platform on a, on a comedy show, which is absolutely bad. But it's, I, I think it's the thing that sort of interests me at the moment in that in the UK, and, and I, I say it's been full, like I think Nish Kumar's brilliant. I think MASH Report's really fun. And I think, but all our all our political shows are sort of have to be panel shows. Whereas in the States, they've got some real people like Samantha B who are doing a half hour investigative comedy thing. Um, you've now got comedians like Ilana Glazer from Broad City who's doing these brilliant tours around the States where she's inviting people to come dance, laugh, and then meet politicians, meet who they can vote for. And really, and, and that sort of feels like a level ahead of maybe where we are here. Um, but then I, I wonder if that comes back to what you say about public funding, that, you know, we, we all need to survive here, so we don't quite have the funds to do these big-scale events. It, it's worth saying that uh, John Oliver is, of course, a British comedian who's doing mm. brilliantly over in the States because that format of the sort of nightly, or well, in this case, weekly show where it's sort of political, it's sort of current affairs meets comedy, isn't it? Uh, I think that, that format works really well, and I'm... I suppose the MASH report is the nearest we've got to it. And like you, I, I love Nish Kumar. And also, uh, there are some, some other brilliant British comedians that I would mention. Uh, I mean, Stuart Lee is, is one. And, and it's interesting you said the thing about George Bombio and Newsnight, because one of the things he said was you know, his 
his when he was doing stuff for the comedy vehicle for the BBC, his material was held to a higher standard of truth than politicians on Newsnight. Mm. But in other words, he had to run things past a lawyer and it wasn't allowed to go out unless it passed muster. Meanwhile, politicians are going on and actually overtly lying on, on news programmes and are allowed to do so. But I think he's an absolutely brilliant comedian. I think Josie Long is brilliant. I, I think Bridget Christie is brilliant. And what's, if you think about all those comedians, all of them are very different. It's not like one voice. They've all got different political points to make. And they make them in very different different ways. I love the daftness of Bridget Christie. I think the, the, the idea, I saw her doing her Brexit show in Folkestone. Now, Folkestone is not the sort of place where you'd expect there to be strong Remainer sympathies, although maybe, you know, all the Remainers in, in Folkestone were in that one room. But, <laughs> but, but the daftness of Bridget Christie and using that daftness as a, as a kind of, almost like as a kind of scalpel to be able to get into the ludicrousness of what's going on, that's that's a really clever way of working you know she had this whole thing about she wanted to do the show about gardening and actually she it ended up being about brexit so she can't start talking about the gardener then you realize actually no way she's talking <laughs> about brexit and it's just a brilliant thing and it was a, it was great to see that in folkestone because it's just not what you expect yeah i think it makes it so much more digestible for people it's so, so often i watch politicians talk and i go if you'd had comedy training <laughs> you'd, you'd absolutely you'd, this, you'd communicate this in a much better way you know the, the fact that we have to sort of edit down jokes to just mean what they mean and have the punchline is far better than sort of the waffle that you hear for half an hour from quite a lot of politicians without getting to the point there was, there was a brilliant book published in the 1980s called our master's voices by a guy called max atkinson and it basically it's an analysis of political oratory and what he's particularly concerned with is the politician speaking to a, a, a sympathetic audience, you know, at a rally or something. And actually, a lot of the devices that he identifies that, that politicians use, comedians use too. So, for example, they have a thing that he calls a claptrap. So it's like a, it's, it's, it's a structure to get a, applause because he argues that but unless you get applause regularly, the audience tunes out. And so one of the main structures that he identifies for, get, for queuing applause is a three-part list. Does that sound familiar? Rule of three. It's a classic structure for a joke. Also, you know, you get things like um, John O'Farrell, the comedy writer. Um, I did, I think he did bits of writing for Gordon Brown and things like that. So I think there is, I mean, if you talk about the value of comedy, then I think, uh, you know, that that crossover uh, between politics and comedy is certainly something that politics could gain from. I, mean, I think I hate to say it, but I think that one of the, the, the ways that Johnson became such a sort of popular figure uh, was by using the tools of a stand-up comedian. Like he has this persona, a very distinct persona, and there are direct eyewitness accounts of him putting it on. You know, him just being like a normal person, and then answering the phone to, to do an interview and ruffling up his hair and putting on the silly voice and things. And it's a brilliant shield. You know, you, I mean, I don't think it works so much when you're prime minister, but you do something terrible and you get called on it. You go, oh, oh gosh, well, you, you know me. I mean, I, I'm just a terrible shower. You know, you, it, it's a very good way of sort of letting, um, pretending to be a bumbling idiot, which is, he's totally not. He's venal and intelligent. And, and I suppose the main difference between him and a comedian is that a comedian does 
comedy to make people happy and laugh, whereas he uses those techniques to do evil. So, <laughs> yeah, well, there's also something I was just thinking that you know the real British comedy trope is that we're all self-deprecating and we like to go on stage and go, "I'm sorry, I'm shit," but this is also shit. Whereas he won't apologise for anything. So I feel like that's where he's he's not more like a US comedian, just so very pompous and uh, <laughs> confident. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that is a really important cultural difference between uh, British and well, I mean not just comedy but you know british culture and american culture i think in american culture for various reasons uh your 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 instinct is to put your best face forward so if you've just lost your job you describe it as i've been given an opportunity to find new work right mm, yeah uh, whereas yeah. I think british people would just go oh shit i've lost my <laughs> things are fucked yeah i yeah. was going to say just as well that the boris Johnson thing's interesting there's still a lot of people that say it's have i got news for you's fault that he that he rose higher than uh he did because they let him present didn't they and he he did very well at that job. And they say comedy can't change anything. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, I, mean, um, I, I, I genuinely think that that, 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 is, that is a plausible argument. I think, I think that he, he came over so well on that show and, he, and it, it, it probably helped him as well develop to his, his public persona more generally. I, yeah, I, I think it's awful to say. Also, have you noticed it's a really interesting thing that when they do have I got news for you and I guess it makes sense, they always put the nasty guest next to Paul Merton. <laughs> and i think the poor reason paul. for that is yeah poor paul i think for one it probably speaks volumes about what a nice guy he is, is is probably one thing i think the other thing is that it allows that that person to have to face ian hislop which is probably the right way round, so that ian hislop can really have a pop millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So that was some bonus Oliver Double for you there. Um, and again, all the links to all his books and everything, blah, 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 are on uh, the previous uh, podcast episode, the one that went out um, this week, last week. I don't I don't know how weeks work anymore. What is time? Who am I? Who be this? Um, and now is a quick clip of uh, Nicola Branch from our episode a few weeks back uh, on Palestine and Israel annexing the West Bank. And this clip is, um, rather than all the horrible things that we talked about, this clip is about some of the um, kind of culture in Palestine, which is... Uh, just uh, lovely to listen to. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. 
It sounds brilliant. I, I, I'd like to visit that. Is it? Oh, absolutely. I, I thoroughly recommend it. I mean, it's something that I ought to organise is a kind of like a trip to Tibet um, for the beer festival because it's it's absolutely I mean, it's a gorgeous place. Uh, I mean, the other thing about Palestine, it's it's small or it is small now because that's all they've been left with. But it's really easy to get around from place to place. Um, and especially because of all the, the different, you know, um, tour operators to it, you know that they have these kind of minibuses coaches or whatever that that you can get from a to b um i mean the company that i've always gone out with is siraj and they are based just outside of um, bethlehem in a place called bet and they have fantastic guides and drivers um the the guides speak excellent english um their drivers you know they they kind of get by but i you, you become part of their family it's you know it's you're not just you're not just on a tour guide trip with them you you are their family and their friends and you stay friendly with them you know forever so it's it's just amazing they they really look after you i mean you know talk about hospitality um palestine is is the place where where you get the best hospitality in the world um when Mark Thomas went out and did his walking the wall trip, and he actually walked around the 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 um, the, the dividing barrier uh, between Israel and Palestine, he actually, even though he was on um, a walking trip, he put on weight <laughs> because every way you stop, you are given food and drink. And seriously, I have to diet before I go there so that I can actually just get through the day of eating food. That's amazing. And they, 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 it, I, it's brilliant. I mean, they, the thing is, and, and what the Palestinians do, it's like they give you food, and if you eat the food, it shows that you love them. So, of course, you don't want to offend them. You've got to eat the food <laughs> because you do love them, and you do love them. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, the first year that I was there, uh, I actually had a, a small tumble on my bicycle. Next thing we know, this this the the lady whose house I fell outside of, she'd come out with a tray of eighteen cups of tea and biscuits oh for all of us. I mean, it was just like you know, and I'd hardly stood up. It was it's just absolutely incredible. It really, really is. So there you go. Uh, that was some bonus uh, Nicola Branch from the episode Taking Liberties that came out on the 30th of June. Uh, and all the links uh, to everything Nikki discussed are on that podcast and that web page for that podcast. Um, but she mainly wanted to promote uh, medical aid for Palestine who still need an awful lot of support. So please go check them out. Um, new episode out on Tuesday, as per always. It's the last one before the summer. Boo-hoo. Um, but there will be some bonus stuff, um, probably, because God knows what will happen. Um, if you can, donate to the Kofi the patreon tell people about the podcast give us a review um do a dance with your nan um shout old-fashioned rude words at a woodland creature uh maybe eat a sausage um whatever you do i hope you have a very nice weekend slash week slash month slash life bye <laughs>
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.